I uh, always wonder if I could hold the attention of an audience after not preaching very often. So I had that picture taken the last time I preached. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I think you're misinterpreting that. That's the picture of a man who totally trusts me when I'm preaching. <laughs> On a more serious note, <clears throat> what I'd like to talk with you about for a few minutes this morning, you can take that picture down, please, <laughs> is this. If God cares, why doesn't he do something? I think we all ask that question, or want to, and may be afraid to ask it. I have asked the question more than once in my life. If God cares, why doesn't he do something? I want to, you to look with me at, at four little verses in a, an event that, life in, it, that occurred in the life of Jesus that I think addresses that very question. If God cares... Why doesn't he do something? It's from Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. <clears throat> I want you to think with me a little bit, kind of outside the box, about how that event occurred and what, what led up to it. It was the time in Jesus' life when his schedule grew busier and busier with every sunrise. If, if he had been the kind of person who kept a daytimer, it would have become too full to even close. Uh, if he had a Facebook page, it would have suddenly become so full that it was impossible to manage. And accompanying the, the increasing frenzy that, that comes with increasing popularity was the, was the impending horror of the cross. You think about what his life has been like sitting around countless campfires with 12 stubborn disciples night after night, revealing the mysteries of the kingdom, spending his days teaching and healing and casting out demons, performing miracles, putting up with obnoxious Pharisees. All of that combined has just drained his emotions and his energy, and simply put, he is exhausted. And so it's time for a break from the pull of the clamoring crowd. And so he tells the twelve to get in a boat and let's cross the Sea of Galilee where I can rest. And as they row, he sleeps on a cushion in the stern. He is rocked by the, by the idle rhythm of the waves. He's fanned by the gentle ocean or sea breeze. 
It's just welcome rest that he so desperately needs. And then it hits. One of those infamous storms on the Galilean Sea. The Sea of Galilee is located in a basin that is surrounded by mountains and it is quite susceptible to sudden violent storms. Cool air from the Mediterranean is drawn down those narrow mountain passes and, and that cool air clashes with the hot air that's hot and humid that, that uh, lies over uh, the, the lake, the sea, which is, which is 600 feet below sea level. And when that happens, almost instantly, the sea can turn violent, as it did on this occasion. This restful Sea of Galilee, tranquil most of the time, suddenly becomes a turbulent enemy for 12 men who have rowed with all of their might and they too are now exhausted. You can see the hair on their arms getting this strange sensation from, from electricity that fills the air. Lightning is illuminating large increasing waves and thunder makes veteran seamen duck. Wave after wave bursts over the side of that small fishing boat and with every wave more water is sloshed into the boat and simply put, those 12 men just don't understand why that's happening. I mean, weren't they out there in obedience to Jesus? So why the storm? Had he intentionally led them into a storm? Are they going to drown? If Jesus is in the boat with you, shouldn't you expect peace and tranquility? smooth going and so here are 12 men who are soaked and shivering and terrified to the core and they wonder if the next wave will be the one that takes them all under in panic every one of them is either rowing or bailing everybody in the boat is rowing or bailing everybody that is except Jesus who is sound asleep in the storm and so 12 men, somewhat bewildered at his ability to sleep in the storm, wake him up. And Mark says that they chastised him when they woke him. Mark says that they said to Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And that's our question this morning. If God cares, why doesn't he do something? Don't you care that we perish? And in one of the most amazing moments in all of Scripture, Jesus speaks to an inanimate object. And that inanimate object obeys him as if it were a person. And Mark tells us exactly what Jesus said as he rebuked the furious wind and the raging waves. He said three words. Peace, be still. And the result was instant dead calm well those 24 eyes have seen amazing things over the last three years as they watched Jesus they have seen crippled legs made strong they have seen blind eyes given sight they have seen demons ordered about like servants 
But never, never have they ever seen anything as undeniably done by God as this moment in a storm. The storm calmed as ordered. And now for the second time they were afraid. They first were afraid of the storm. But their new fear was engendered by the sudden awareness of being in the presence of a power greater than a fierce storm. And so they ask the haunting question, who is this? We thought we kind of knew who he was. Who is this? Well, all of what I just shared with you is either just another nice Bible story with a little bit of imagination thrown in, or it is a command from God himself for you to do a turnaround in your life. A command from God for you to turn from doubt to faith. A command from God for you to turn from a life of token service to a life of total commitment to Jesus Christ. If Jesus can still the storm, then he can empower you for your journey of commitment. So here's the question of the hour. Is today the day you are going to quit just believing in God and start trusting in him? Is today the day that you're going to stop just believing in God and start trusting him. <clears throat> I want to remind you of some of your own questions. I suspect you have asked some of these questions, probably not all, but some of them. Maybe you have asked, can God cure an, in an incurable disease? Where's your faith? Maybe you have asked, can God restore dignity to a life that has been lived in disgrace? Where is your faith? Maybe you have asked, can God repair a permanently damaged marriage? Where is your faith? Maybe you've asked, can God bring peace to a grieving heart? Where is your faith? Maybe you've asked, can God give purpose to a life that has lost its purpose? Where is your faith? Maybe you've asked, can, can Jesus bring joy to a depressed spirit? Where's your faith? Maybe you've asked, can Jesus forgive someone who has sinned in the ways that you have sinned? Where is your faith? Maybe you've asked, can Jesus still calm storms? Where is your faith? And maybe you've asked, can Jesus calm the intense storm in your life right now? Where is your faith? May God give you the faith. To see that Jesus still cares if his people feel they're about to drown. I hold up to you this morning the same Jesus who could stop a storm with three words. Peace, be still. The same Jesus who created this world with four words such as let there be light. And there was light. 
if he brought light to a world before there was a sun or a moon or stars, can he not bring light into a life that is darkened by sin or tragedy? If he, call, if he calmed a storm with three little words, can he not give you the peace that passes understanding? Max Licato wrote a little parable that I think really makes the point. It's a really neat parable. It's brief. Let me share it with you. Once there was a man who dared God to speak. Burn the bush like you did for Moses, and I will follow. Collapse the walls like you did for Joshua, and I will fight. Still the waves like you did on Galilee, and I will listen. And so the man sat by a bush near the wall, close to the sea, and he waited for God to speak. And God heard the man, and so God answered. He sent fire. Not for a bush, but for a church. He brought down a wall, not of brick, but of sin. He stilled the storm, not of the sea, but of a soul. And God waited for man to respond. And he waited, and he waited, and waited. But because the man was looking at bushes and not hearts, bricks and not lives, seas and not souls, he decided God had done nothing. And finally he looked to God and asked, have you lost your power? And God looked at him and said, have you lost your hearing? Good parable. You remember that Old Testament story about uh, in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar uh, throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three guys, into the fiery furnace. And then he looks into the furnace later on. Do you remember what he saw? He said, I see four men, and the fourth looks like a god. And, and most Bible scholars think that fourth man in the furnace was Jesus. The fourth man. I, I was really... a, a, a kind of inspired when I first heard the story of the 12th man tradition at Texas A&M. You know, their whole student body considers themselves the 12th man at every football game. And that's based on a true event that happened in January of 1922 when an underdog Texas Aggie team was playing Center College, who at that time was the nation's number one ranked team. I'm sure many of you remember watching Center College. Uh, The game was hard fought. The Aggies had dug deeply into their reserves. They were almost out of players. And so Coach Dana Bible remembered that there was another guy who had been on the team, but he wasn't even in uniform. He was up in the press box, and his job was simply to help the reporters identify players. And so the coach sent up to the press box for that young student whose name was E. King Gill and told him to come down and suit up and stand on the sidelines ready to go in. And so he became the immortal 12th man, ready to go in if the team needed him. Well, that's kind of a neat 
little story, but it doesn't compare to the Bible's story of the fourth man, the fourth man in the furnace. Far more inspiring is the story of this fourth man who carries with him the power of God himself. The point being that no believer ever enters a fiery furnace alone. Never alone. Powerful as God is, and as great as one's faith may be, prayers are not always answered the way we want. Sometimes the boat does sink, but that does not mean God is not present. Think about it for a moment. There are two men, early followers of Jesus, who are in prison. Peter, John the Baptist. Peter is delivered from prison in a miraculous way. He just walks out scot-free. John the Baptist is never released. He will die. Two brothers, both apostles, one named John, one named James. They both want to serve Jesus all their lives. And John gets to do it for a hundred years. His brother James is the first apostle put to death in his early 30s. He barely gets started when he is put to death. Why? They both serve the same God. They both want the same thing. One of them is given longevity of life, the other is not. Peter and John the Baptist serve the same God. They want the same thing. They want out of jail to go serve the Lord. One is allowed to, the other is not. I don't know why. But none of those stories are the stories of God being absent. When the seas calm down in your life, praise God. But when the boat sinks, in spite of your prayers, choose faith. I don't ever know what, if anything, people are going to take home from a sermon. So this morning, uh, I want to give you three choices of something you can take home with you if you choose to. Uh, so you pick the one of these three, uh, if any, which uh, meets your needs. The first take-home message is simply this. The bigger the storm, the more the Lord will be glorified when we trust him. If your life is in some great turmoil today, that great turmoil gives you an enormous opportunity to glorify God through your reaction to the turmoil. The bigger the storm, the more the Lord will be glorified when we trust him. Here's a second take-home message. Maybe this fits you better. Sometimes God calms the sea, and sometimes he calms the sailor. My mother went through seven years of the horrible disease, Alzheimer's. And I prayed every prayer you could think of. Lord, heal her. Lord, take her home. Lord, get this over with. Lord, just end it. Lord, do something. Lord, do anything. And always the prayer was, I mean, the answer was, and I would pray, God, aren't you listening? Don't you care that she's drowning? 
And the answer was, and one night I prayed, God, if it isn't your will to help her, help me. And it's the only time in my life I've ever had a physical sensation when I prayed, but it was like air going out of a balloon. And it was, it was the stress and the worry and the anxiety was never as intense again. Sometimes he calms the sea, and sometimes he calms the sailor. Or maybe the message for you to take home today is, it's not what great faith you have that counts, it's what a great God you have. Maybe you have what Jesus called a mustard seed faith, but you do not have a mustard seed God.